As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, bacon and ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba da ba ba ba. Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams is right. Williams gonna throw. One on one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap, spot, kick away, high enough, long enough. It's good! It's good! Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Connor Barth. Good gosh, dirty. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. We'll get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. With five seconds, he's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown. Carolina back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. There is a flag down. But holy smokes. Two and four in overtime games. Carolina one and three here from under center. Give off to Greg Little. Little pulls away. Little is going to score. Carolina wins. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Carolina with a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. It's good. It's good. Carolina has won the game on a 42-yard field goal by freshman Hunterberg. In his end zone. The punt. Very high. Switzer will have room to return it. He fields it at the 40. Coming near side. Switzer at the 50. Switzer, 45, cuts back at the 40, 35, breaks a tackle at the 30, still on his feet. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Ryan Switzer for six. He is doing his best Giovanni Bernard impression. Ryan Switzer again. Bernard fields it at the 26, heading to the far side. 
Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Hey, guys, and welcome to a live edition of the Heel Tough blog podcast here on Facebook Live. I want to thank all of you guys for joining us. If you're joining us live here tonight as we get ready to preview the Tar Heels' upcoming game against the Virginia Tech Hokies. It's a place where Carolina has not fared very well since Virginia Tech has come into the ACC. We're going to take you through all of the major storylines with that here tonight on the podcast uh, we'll of course have some other stuff for you at the end of the podcast as well uh, in as it pertains to some of the guys in the NFL that have already uh, played against Virginia Tech over the years so we'll tell you all about that coming up here on this edition of the podcast and buddy uh, we are live for the first yeah. time in a while uh, and this is where you know that it's it's real now it's real for us but mainly it's real for these guys now this has been an off-season of hype. I mean, I, I've typed that so many times in a lot of the articles uh, that I've been talking about uh, because it's been something that the coaching staff has talked so much about, mainly head coach Mack Brown to this point. But now it's finally going to come to a head on Friday night in one of the most hostile environments in all of college football so where's the excitement level at for you along with the nerves? I mean, they're, they're there. As you mentioned, uh, it's, it's real. We are – Right now, we're under 48 hours away from kick. From For us, our most hyped offseason entering what could be the most special season in Carolina football history. But as our head coach has said all offseason, and he made it pretty clear Monday, it's time to shut up about talking, and it's time for this team to go play and see are they the preseason top 10 team that they were built in the preseason? Are they a legitimate contender to Clemson in the ACC? Are they a legitimate contender to maybe crash the college football playoff party later this season? We're going to find out a lot about that on Friday night. Yeah, and and look, it's an opener that most people probably wouldn't want to start with, but Mac Brown seems, you know, pretty excited about starting with that. Now, part of that is it's coach speak. You're not going to come out and say, well, you know, we really hate the fact that we got to start with a game like this, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I think it's definitely a, an, an opener that the Tar Heels, uh, you know, need to be ready for if they want to be on this type of stage yep. going forward. These are the types of matchups that you're going to be put in coming out of the gate uh, consistently because you could end up in some of these Dukes-Mayo classics and stuff like that going forward. So I think it's good for this team, but... Yeah, I, I definitely think that there are some things that, uh, you know, are, are, are sort of, you know, going against the Tar Heels early on here. Definitely felt like a lot of people reacted that way when you got the news of Bo Corrales uh, being out for the opener. I'm going to be honest, that really didn't catch me off guard uh, from, you know, all the stuff that Mac Brown had been saying throughout the fall, uh, you know, throughout fall camp, everything like that. I don't think that was really that much of a shock he had not he'd been limited in practice so I, I mean it's it hurts but at the same time it feels like the staff has been preparing for this for a while yeah the thing is though is that he uh, from the last two years that was returning in the starts in the wide receiving cores your top target in the in the red zone for Sam Howell what's been the biggest knock we've had against uh Phil Longo's offense through two years not finishing drives they cannot afford to do that on Friday night, field goals will get you beat. Um, so there is a reason to be concerned, but I think they've knew they've known pretty much all August 
He wasn't going to be ready to go for this opener, so they've been preparing for that as such. Now it's up to those guys that have a lot of talent to go out there and produce on the field. Well, yeah, and I, I think that there are some viable options. Mac Brown talked a lot about him. Heard from Phil Longo the other day as well, uh, and and it looks like the the two main guys that they're talking about are Josh Downs and Emory Simmons. Josh Downs, I'm not really that concerned about him not being able to perform. Yeah. Uh, we've seen him, you know, biggest game of his career so far was against Texas A&M, and that was his lone start, and it came in an Orange Bowl game against a team that some people thought should have been in the college football playoffs. So I'm not really concerned about him. Emory Simmons is a guy that's been in the system for a while, but now is going to play the most significant role that he has had to play so far. And then it's, you know, who is that other guy? Is it Antone Green? Is it Justin Olsen? There are options that are there, uh, but I, I think that Carolina fans definitely have a right to be a, a little bit concerned. Um, but at the same time, I still feel like you should feel optimistic with the options that are there. And this is another area where, for me, this really lends well to Garrett Walston being a big part of what they do in this game and potentially the first few games of the year until they can get Bo Corrales back. That's where, exactly where I was going. This is a chance for Garrett Walston. He, he came back for a super senior year to kind of achieve some things individually and help this team in this program get to an ACC championship game and maybe a college football playoff. If he can have a big game and if he can become that target in the red zone that we haven't had at that tiny position since Eric Ebron, It'll go a long way to Carolina finding a way to win this football game. If not, then you're going to have to hope that either Emory Simmons, Antone Green, Trophy Brown, they step up, make big plays, or you hope that you can run the football inside the 20-yard line. That way you're not settling for, for field goals as opposed to touchdowns. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that's – once it was announced that Bo Corrales was out, I don't know about for you or any of y'all guys that are watching, I think it made the, the, the possibility of Carolina being upset – a little bit more real. And I think it's kind of as with the week's gone along, you've seen the line shrink. You see a lot of predictions around the country that are that are releasing their score predictions. A lot of one-score games with a touchdown or less. And then a lot of this because you're not without your red zone target. So Carolina's going to have to find a way to get the ball to their other playmakers and let them make big plays. Well, I don't understand the mindset that some people had that this was going to be a blowout. I've been saying this all summer. This was going to be one of the closer games that you played all season. I think, I, if, I, I think if Carolina wins, I think, they, I think they'll blow the doors off Virginia Tech. I think it's that type of game. I think if they win, they come out, they make a statement that they're the top ten team that they are. Sam Howell starts his Heisman candidate, uh, candidate campaign, um, and I think they walk out of this game with a you know a multiple score touchdown victory. I think if they lose, it's a close nail biting game where not finishing drives costs them. I, I mean, look, I think that there's a lot of people that believe that. I think the thing is, is if we're getting a, if, if this is a close game. I am trusting Sam Howell to win this game more than I am trusting Braxton Burmeister to win this game. And that's not due to bias. That's due to what we've seen from these quarterbacks to this point. I think this game, to me, has a very similar feel to the game in 2019 against Miami in the home opener of Mac Brown's return to Carolina. I feel like it's going to come right down to the end, and you're going to have to make some plays. But I feel 
I mean, and look, we'll get we'll get more into this. I do want to touch on a couple other things here. Also, want to tell you guys, since we're live, hit, you, hit us up in the comments. We want to hear your predictions, your score predictions for the game. We're going to read some of those out later on. Also, tell us some of your keys to the game. We're going to be going through our keys to the game here uh, coming up later in the program. So we want to hear from you guys on that. Uh, one other bit of news that Mac Brown did sort of, I guess, break in his press conference uh, was that uh, when it comes to Brian Anderson and Choffrey Brown, uh, the staff is, quote, planning on them to play. So what that tells me is that, and he said, these guys have been at practice. So that's different than what Bo Corrales is. And he said, look, we hope to get Bo Corrales back before the end of the season. Now that could be him being extremely vague. Yeah. That could also be him saying uh, this is pretty. This this is somewhat significant. But what was weird about that situation was he said that per the medical staff, we are not going to comment on Bo's status, mm-hmm. which kind of you know makes you wonder what exactly is going on with that. With Anderson and and Brown, it feels a little more encouraging what you're hearing around him. To me, I mean, look, having uh, having Chaffrey Brown would be a nice addition. He's he's got some experience. Um, you know, he, he, this is a guy who played against Virginia Tech last year. Uh, he he's a guy that can help you at wide receiver. But that feels like a spot where Carolina has kind of been preparing without Corrales and without um and without Brown for a while now. And it feels like they they are confident in those four guys outside of them. So he would help. Brian Anderson being in there at center makes a difference. Would be huge. I look. I think Kieran Johnson last year showed that he can do some really good things. He can be a versatile piece for you. But for this to be his second career start and his first on the road, this is this is a tough ask from him. So having Anderson would be huge. Yeah, I mean, look, Kieran Johnson is a is a nice. He's a good player. He's not going to get you beat. But is he going to put you on the top to help you win a ball game like this one? In my opinion, no. I think having Brian Anderson, a guy that's been around the last two years, he knows that relationship with Sam Howell better than Kieran Johnson. they got that kind of chemistry. He'll know how to bark the signals out. What's going to be as daunting and, and as live a venue as they've been in under Mac Brown um, in the last two years, that's, that's where – the difference is, is his communication up front with the other linemen, with Sam Howells, are making adjustments, audibles at that line of scrimmage. And so I do think if he can suit up and if he can be a go, whether it's – even if it's 70%, 85%, whatever it is, him being on the field makes Carolina a better football team than being on that sideline. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, 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 agree, I agree with you. And I think, you know, part of this is that – and this is something that's been talked about by the staff and mainly Mac Brown throughout the fall – the rotations, primarily all in the trenches, is not just on the defensive side of the football. They will rotate offensive linemen if they feel like a guy could use a breather and there is a guy behind him that can play at a good enough level to give him some time to get back up to full strength. So I think you'll what you'll see is you will see guys that will rotate in and out. You'll see moments where Kieran Johnson will come in. But I'm with you. For the most part, you need Brian Anderson out there in this game, and you'll see why. We're going to talk about the trench play coming up here in a little bit. Of course, that's where you specialize, but uh, that's one of the areas that I think is a big key mm-hmm. uh, to this game. Uh one thing I did want to touch on from a Tar Heel perspective before we sort of break down Virginia Tech and then ultimately the game, 
Uh, first depth chart release on Monday. Uh, that was a big day for Carolina uh, in terms of some of the news with Corrales. Um, then the Mac Brown press conference and the first depth chart released. Uh, Mac Brown was asked about a couple of the decisions as well. Jay, Jay Bateman was asked as well about uh, some of the guys and, and where they are at uh, on the depth chart. And the first thing that caught that that I caught my eye when I looked at the depth chart. Uh, was Chris Collins being named the starting outside linebacker. We haven't really talked a whole lot about him this offseason. Yeah. Now, to be fair, we haven't talked about the guy that's coming back for his super senior year there either in Tyrone Hopper. But I think that's mainly because we have heard so much about Dez Evans to this point, And we're still hearing yeah. so much about Dez Evans even after this depth chart has been released. But it looks like right now Chris Collins is going to be out there because basically what I think that Jay Bateman was saying was that Chris Collins does everything that you need him to do. He may not do anything great, but he's a guy that does everything pretty well, and that's what Carolina is looking for is a guy that can rush the passer but can help you seal the edge and take away the run. You know, I made the comment a few weeks ago when we were kind of previewing who would all start in certain places. And I made the comment that I don't think defensively what we see on Friday is what we're going to see every Saturday moving forward. I think this will be a fluid depth chart because Carolina is, is, is in a different spot. This, If, if they want to get where they want to get to, this is almost about as must-win as you can have in September as you ever going to have. They don't have the luxury of a Clemson and a Georgia who can play a top-five game, lose and still find their way into the college football play for a New Year's Six Bowl game. Carolina's got to treat this like a must-win to get where they want to get to. And I think that's what they're doing with the when you saw that depth chart is, who is not going to get us B? Is, is Chris Collins a better football player than Desmond Evans? No. But is he a guy that can do a, a little better, some stuff that you need him to do in this game to get you a win as opposed to Des Evans? Yes. That's why he's going to be on the field more often. But it won't be the case come October or November when Carolina's playing even in, in, you know, in other big games. So, you know – well, there's also going to be a ton of rotation in this. Well, you hope so, so. We're going to see a lot of Des Evans. I would be very shocked if, on obvious passing downs, you don't see a heavy dose of Des Evans because he's that guy that we've heard has done a lot of things to stand out amongst the guys when it comes to winning some of those one-on-one -on -one pass rushing battles. And Matt Brown's talked about how important that is going to be. Um, I think. To be honest with you, I think this should really encourage you more than anything. The fact that they've been raving so much about a dude that is not starting. Yep. And you've got a guy in Chris Collins that we just, frankly, he just hasn't drawn the headlines so far. But he is a guy that now gets a chance to start that Jay Bateman feels relatively comfortable with starting this game. And I think, you know, he has the, th this is the other thing. He's a guy that's had the experience of playing in these types of games before. Des Evans, you know, played in a couple of these games last year. But this is going to be a little bit of a different environment. So it makes a little bit of sense why you probably want some of those veteran guys out there. But it is noteworthy that he is over Evans and, and Hopper, who's, yeah. uh, you know, a guy that's been around for a while now. Yeah. But that Carolina, I think, you know, look, 
He had his moments last year where he simply could not help you in the run game. He was washed out. I feel like that's what they're trying to eliminate in this game by uh, potential by, by starting Chris Collins. Uh, you go on uh, corner. That was another spot that jumped out to me. Uh, Kyler McMichael and Storm Duck, they're currently locked in a battle. There's an or next to Kyler McMichael's name. The other thing that's interesting is that McMichael is the guy that is listed first. Now, I think as we've talked about, you know, we talked about this a little bit when we were going through the position previews. This is in part because Storm Duck has been banged up. Yes. So this means that Kyler McMichael has had some time to sort of establish himself in the system. And look, Kyler McMichael's a really good player as well. He started eight out of nine games last year and looked really, really good at times. So I think this is something that, again, Carolina fans could look at it and say, well, man, we got a position battle going on here. Hopefully this works itself out. This, no doubt, will be a position of rotation. I think the reason that this is interesting is because you would imagine that at some point, one of these two is going to step up and take over, quote-unquote, starter reps. Mm -hmm. I think this battle is probably a little bit closer than we realized when it comes to these two. Because I'm going to be honest, in, if you would have asked me earlier this offseason who are the two best corners on this team, I would have said that it's Tony Grimes and Storm Duck, and then there's a slight drop-off to Kyler McMichael. I think right now they're showing us that it's Tony Grimes, slight drop-off, Storm Duck, and Kyler McMichael. If that's the case, that's about as good news as you could, as you could get with, with the defensive backfield because we think really highly of Storm Duck, and we should start thinking in the same manner of Kyler McMichael, which is a good thing because Storm Duck, as you mentioned, has been limited with injuries. Ever since he came to Carolina, he's had a hard time getting and staying on the field. So if he were to miss a game, miss some snaps, if you got to sub Kyler McMichael in, you're not worried about the quarterback uh, you know, immediately testing him because he's not going to want to because that guy can make the same types of plays that Storm Ducks have or Storm Ducks can do. We've talked all offseason about the depth, which is why Carolina has gotten to where it's gotten to. And it's, it's, it's so true in this defensive backfield which is the, you know where we have the biggest questions at the safety mark, but the corners are so good enough, it, you know, it, it's good enough to carry them. Oh, I no doubt. I definitely agree with you on that. And, I mean, look, we're, we're even talking De DeAndre Hollins, Day-Day Hollins behind Tony Grimes yeah. is a guy that uh, the staff has raved about as well. So they think that they can go four deep there uh, without any issue. Uh, another, you know, head over to the offensive side of the ball. Man, DJ Jones uh, was a guy that we talked about at length was the guy that we both thought would emerge probably as the number two early on. Caleb Hood really stepped it up. He was the guy that was listed as, or, or uh, according to Mac Brown, was earning uh, second-team reps behind Ty Chandler uh, as of a couple of weeks ago. Well, now there's an or next to Caleb Hood's mm -hmm. name on the depth chart. Now, he is listed first between him and DJ Jones, but it looks like it will be Ty Chandler and then it will be Caleb Hood and DJ Jones likely splitting those backup reps, which to me I think is a pretty good sign for Carolina that it looks like that third running back has emerged. And it's a guy in DJ Jones who I think, uh, you know, when you watch him play, he has some similarities to what Antonio Williams did a couple years ago. For yeah, him. if Carolina can have those three backs in the backfield, especially in this game on Friday night, it's really going to do wonders for an offense that's got to replace a lot of production in that passing game. If they can be able to run the football 
and sustain drives. Um, and, and, and also, you got to think about it. Hood and DJ Jones, that's the future of Carolina's backfield because Ty Chandler is a transfer. He'll be gone at the end of the season. So, interesting to see how they handle the rotations. You know, you would imagine you'd probably see DJ Jones in on, on obvious passing downs to help in pass protection because of something Caleb Hood has struggled in as he's adjusting from quarterback to the to the running back position. Also, true freshman. And yeah. you got a guy in Jones that is a sophomore, so he's he's been through this kind of stuff. So, yep. you know, it'd be interesting to see how they do that. But if, if they can get production of all three of those guys, it's going to go a long way on Friday night. Yeah, and again, there's a couple elements that go into that. We'll talk about the offensive line coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, another thing, no answer at the backup quarterback position. Uh, that's something that uh, we were hoping that it would be worked out. But uh, to be honest with you, uh, Mac Brown doesn't seem too concerned about that. I wouldn't be either uh, and, if you got And same thing with Phil Longo. Basically, the mindset is they're going to take it week to week. Yep. If there's a guy that's having a good week of practice, if he's needed that week, then they're going to throw him out there. This only becomes a concern if you were to have Sam Howell go down. As of right now, I feel like you're you're pretty confident in the, in the two guys that you have that if for some reason they have to come in and play a drive or something like that, uh, they could do that for you at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think as long as Sam Howell is upright and healthy, it's not really a concern. You could probably look to that Week 2 game as a chance for Carolina to kind of settle the debate on that backup quarterback spot. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I think – that's that's the game you would hope that you can yeah. settle that in. If um, not, we got we got other issues. I mean, look, there could potentially be some other games down the line that would give you that opportunity as well, but that feels like the game that you're kind of targeting uh, to give you that opportunity. Uh, and then the last thing that I wanted to point out here, this one on the special team side of things, Jaquarius Conley going to factor in in the return game. So we were wondering who that other guy next to Ty Chandler was going to be because they pretty much told us Ty Chandler is going to be part of the kick returning group. He's just too experienced with doing it. His numbers at Tennessee weren't mind-blowing with that, but, you know, they were still relatively good. Josh Downs, no shocker, he's going to handle the punt returns, but DeQuarius Conley's an interesting guy. He did it a little bit in high school. He's got some electricity to him. I think the biggest thing, though, is it doesn't matter which one of these guys it is. Carolina has to get more production from those kick returners when they get the opportunities because over the last couple of years, you know, Daz Newsom has had some moments in punt return, and Mac Brown said that that's really on uh, the unit in front of him, not giving him the opportunities to do that. I'm going to be honest. I think part of that is 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 you know, what's going on with the kick return unit as well. But also, I just don't think that Michael Carter was as electric as he needed to be back there at times. Yeah, and you also got to have some guys that are aggressive. They're willing to take some chances that sometimes it might bite you in the butt. I think yeah, I think Ty Chandler has a good sense of when and when not to maybe try to make something happen. And you got Jacarius Conley, as you mentioned, who did a little bit of this in high school. So he, he knows what he's doing back there. He's not going to be a lost dog trying to figure out the way he goes. But I do think it's something that Carolina – it's something that they, you know, and something as you've seen with Mac Brown, we've replaced the uh, special teams coordinator underneath him already. We need more from that unit all the way around with this in the kicking, punting, and those return games. Um, and so we'll be interested to see how we handle that starting against Virginia Tech. Yeah, and I mean he said it. They want big plays on special teams. Uh, Javon Dewitt talked to the media uh, last week, I believe, said that he last year was the first time that he was a part of a staff that did not block a punt. And remember, they also are bringing in Larry Porter to help with that as well. He's the running backs coach, but was also the special teams coach for Auburn. So they're going to have two minds kind of combining there. 
and that's an area where Mac Brown wants to see more. And for a team that is looking to take that next step, that's an area that can really help you yep. to do just that, and especially in a game like this where Carolina has to go to a place where they haven't really had a lot of success. So let's take a look uh, as we get into the game preview portion here. And again, uh, guys, if you're watching live, send in your score predictions uh, for the game. We're going to go ahead and give you ours later on in the program. Same thing uh, with your keys to the game. Uh, and just send in uh, some other general comments. We see you guys in here uh, watching tonight. Uh, you know, Appreciate you guys' support us here uh, as you do most of the time it's uh, a lot of the same people that are in here as well so uh, we really appreciate that but uh, yeah you know you look at Carolina's history in Lane Stadium and believe it or not the history there since 2004 when they entered the ACC Virginia Tech of course uh, is not as bad as you would think but it's not great yeah. They are only 2-6 and six in that stadium since then, which is hard to believe that they have somehow only played there eight times since 2004. But uh, Carolina is, you know, they, they've historically had some issues there. There's a lot of times where they've gone there and gotten blown out. Mm -hmm. uh, the last time they went there wasn't quite that, but it was probably one of the more heart-wrenching losses that you could have uh, in, you know, six-overtime game. Uh, 43-41, you missed two field goals in overtime. It was just, it was a game that you knew you had an opportunity to win, but you somehow just couldn't pull it out, unfortunately. Um, and then last year, Carolina, uh, you know, off to a great start in the game against Virginia Tech. They get a score, they get an onside kick. All of a sudden, they got themselves back into the game. Carolina held on to win 56-45. to and, you know, you look back at that 2020 team for Virginia Tech, there's a lot of people that think this is going to be a much different team this year. The offensive numbers for them last year, not too bad, but not great. 31.1 points per game, 440.7 total yards per game, just 200.6 passing yards per game, but did run for 240.1 rushing yards per game. The defensive numbers, ugly, especially for a team that was so used to success under Bud Foster, 32.1 points per game allowed, 447.5 total yards per game allowed, 266 passing yards per game allowed, and 181.5 rushing yards per game allowed. Those are numbers that you would not associate typically with the lunch pail defense that Virginia Tech has up there. In terms of who they have back, this is actually a roster that doesn't have as many guys back as a lot of the other teams uh, in this you know post-COVID year where you got a lot of super seniors and everything like that. They have 14 starters back. And six of them are on the offensive side of the ball. Eight of them on the defensive side of the ball put up 495 yards of total offense last year in Chapel Hill. 260 of those were on the ground. In the last two matchups between the two sides, Carolina's defense has allowed 985 yards of total offense and 514 rushing yards, including 230 rushing yards two quarterbacks in those matchups. So, I mean, there's a lot to digest. First of all, I think the biggest thing that a lot of people want to know is are you concerned with the history that Carolina has in Lane Stadium? If you're not, I don't know what to tell you. You're 2-6 and six there. Um, the good news for us 
is that the two wins that we have there were pretty significant. It, the first one was under Butch Davis that really signified the fact that he was turning the program around. They went up there on a Thursday night. They kicked a field goal as time expired to get out of there with a win. Then you go back 2015, you secured the Coastal Division title there, punching your ticket to your first ever ACC championship game. The best thing about that win was that the week before, um, they had honored Frank Beamer after he won a certain amount of games, and he said, next week we'll dance when we beat Carolina. Ha-ha, you didn't get to dance because we beat you. Still waiting on that dance, so, Frank. But, yes, you got to be. And the thing the thing about it is that environment, even when they're not ACC title good, is still one of the best environments in college football. They've got arguably a top two to three entrance into the country. As big as high school oh, yeah. football is is in Virginia, anyone and everyone's going to be in Lane Stadium on Friday night. Virginia Tech has reported it's going to be sold out. It's a primetime matchup, so that place is going to be extra hopping. So, yes, you have to be concerned, but this is what you signed up for when you when you hired Mac Brown. He wanted to get back to these moments, to get in these atmospheres, so you can prove out, because you can prove that you belong and that you should be able to win the ball game. The thing is, is that that environment and is it's good enough to carry a mediocre Virginia Tech team to a victory, in my opinion. I think it's a place that home field advantage is 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 it's ten points. It's a double digit point favorite for Virginia Tech. So you've got to find a way to overcome that. Well, the main thing here is is take the environment out of that game. You got to hit them in the mouth early. You do that, then that eliminates that environment pretty quickly because especially over the last few years, and I know people that are big-time Virginia Tech fans. I know people that have had talks with people in their athletic offices with boosters. They are not a fan base that is happy with what they've seen right now. They and are, they shouldn't be. And they're fan, that, but that's the, if you take that environment out of them quickly, this is a this is a group that will that their fans will get upset. Their fans will boo this team if they look that bad. I don't think that's what's going to happen. But if you if you can do that, then you're going to have a great chance to win this game. So you, you want to hit them in the mouth early. The biggest thing there that you also see is that you need to slow down this run game. Yes. The fact that you have been gashed as badly as you have in these two games. I mean, you have allowed over 250 yards in each of the last two meetings on the ground to Virginia Tech. And look, I know that Khalil Herbert was a guy that kind of came out of nowhere. I I mean, he was good at Kansas, but nobody thought he was going to be as good as he was last year when he was in that system. He looked fantastic last year, (laughs) and Carolina found that out pretty quickly. They did. That is still something you should not be allowing to a team that finished 5-6 and six at the end of the regular It's season. even more prevalent because you would imagine that Virginia Tech's game plan when they're looking to try to upset a top-10 team is to shorten the game. How do you do that? You run the football, you keep the clock moving. If Carolina can't get off the field and if they can't stop them from running the football, it can be a long night up there. They've because they ran the football down your throat last year, despite being down double digits early. They didn't panic. They just lined up. They kept running the football and were still scoring at and, a high pace and got themselves back into the game. And then two years ago, you know, 
Carolina, in a lot of ways, they beat themselves, but they also didn't make the plays defensively to help them win the ball game. The good thing is that I think Jay Bateman has hammered that home all offseason long because mm-hmm. what's the biggest question about Carolina's defense? Can you stop the run? Can you be physical enough to stop the run? Because when they can stop the run, they look like a perennial top-10 football team. When they haven't stopped the run, and especially those losses last year, Florida State ran the Wildcat at you, couldn't stop it. That's where this defense has been uh, you know, suspect. So, you know, that's going to be the thing. And I think Virginia Tech will not want to throw the football unless they have to. Well, there's an element of this that, you, that, that you have to dig deeper into, which I think, look, even if you if their running backs have successful nights, you can still find a way to have success. You've got to eliminate the quarterbacks killing you on the ground. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a couple of years ago, they went through three quarterbacks in the same game, and they finally got to Quincy Patterson, who embarrassed you. And yep. now Quincy Patterson is going to North, to North Dakota State, where he will have to follow some really successful quarterbacks and doesn't look like he fits the mold of their normal quarterbacks. So they've got to – and look, Burmeister, this is what he's going to want to do. You saw that early in the game last year. He's not a guy that's going to kill you – down the field. That's that's not his game. That has never been his game. It won't be his game. He's a guy that's going to want to hurt you on the ground with his legs, open up some of the short, quick passes, and that's how he's going to want to move this offense up and down the field. Carolina's got to be aware of that. They've got to find a way to slow down the quarterback run because if they don't, this is going to look relatively similar to what we've seen from Carolina in these games over the past couple of years. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's – I think the the hardest thing that we've had to watch over the last two years is that you know teams were scheming to do that and we still couldn't stop it. You know what I'm saying? And like, I mean, that was Florida State's game plan yeah. with Jordan Travis. He's He was not a guy that was coming out there to beat you with his arm. And he didn't, and, and he still won the game. And the whole thing about Jay Bateman is he's going to put together these schemes that make it hard, and you saw below to to average quarterbacks in the ACC expose you. Um, and so I think that's just something that if Carolina can find a way, if, if you can make Braxton Burmeister beat you with his arm, I think you live if you get beat with his arm. You can't you can't live with yourself if he beats you with your legs. Well, yeah, if he if he beats you with his arm, I think what it shows is that Braxton Burmeister has taken a pretty big step, and Virginia Tech's better than people realize. Yeah. I think that would be what, and you'd live with that. And Mac Brown said that in his press conference the other day. Uh, if we do the things that we're supposed to do, and they beat you, well, that means that we're not the number ten team in the country, and they're a lot better, and than they're what better. We, think we are right. So, uh, I, I, but yeah, that's the thing. And to me. One of the things that I think helps Carolina in this, I know a lot of people want to talk about the fact that they can rotate a lot of guys up front. They definitely have to be more disciplined in their gap assignments. That's There is no question with that. That's still one thing that, you know, when you've had guys, especially Chad Surratt, he would get out of position sometimes with that. But you, you lived with that because he was a guy that played off of instinct. You, The thing that excites me the most about being able to slow these types of guys down now is there's more athleticism on this defense, mainly at linebacker. You've got a guy in Eugene Asante that is going to be a smarter guy when it comes to those gap assignments, but at the same time is just as athletic, if not more athletic, than Chad Surratt was even at the position. The What you're hoping for, because I, I, I'm with you, I think Carolina is way more athletic 
across the board at the defensive line, the linebackers in that defensive backfield. I was watching college game day last Saturday, and Kirk Herbstreit really talked about why defense was so bad last year. And last year, because of the, the COVID offseason and stuff like that, you didn't hit a lot, so the tackling was bad. If Carolina can tackle in the open field with all this athleticism, then it's all good. If they still fail to make those tackles in the open space because Jay Bateman's defense will put you in an island, then that's a, then that's a different concern. Right. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think Carolina is ready to be physical at all three levels of this defense. And I think that linebacking core – and. and it's not a not a you know a shot at Chasserat. You're going to see a, a a difference in that linebacker core with Eugene Asante. Dude, he was a guy. This is what people have to realize. He was a guy that came in as a four star quarterback and transitioned in one had to learn the position on the fly in one offseason to make his first career start in the game against South Carolina. His first game at linebacker. Yep. Like that, he wasn't going to be a polished product. And then you're talking about even last year when you could have polished him up a little bit more, made him a better NFL prospect. That's one of the reasons I think he dropped in the draft. He didn't have a he didn't have a regular offseason. So, you know, you kind of had to just adjust on the fly. But I think you you got a guy in Eugene Asante that has played this position for years, played it in high school at a very high level. That's the difference. And you're talking about guys behind him. I I don't remember which player was saying it. I'm trying to remember real quickly here. Maybe it was Cayman Rucker, possibly, that was saying it. That Ra Ra Dilworth is one of the most athletic players that he's uh, he's ever seen. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that can cover so much space so quickly. And he's only a freshman. He's doing this now. Like, this is a dude that can be anywhere that you need him to be in the blink of an eye. To hear that about a true freshman back. When was the last time that you really heard that about depth linebackers? Most of the time, especially at linebacker, we've heard that, hey, we got a guy that goes down to injury, we're going to be in some trouble here. Yeah, I mean, this defense, the the talent, the depth, it, it reminds you of what Carolina had under Butch Davis when that was as good a defense as you were going to find in the ACC and in the country. Right, and I think, again, temper the expectations a little bit because – this defense, I, they are not going to be Butch Davis level right out of the gate. No. There will also be games because it's also a more modern version of football where they will they will get gashed four yards and they will have points put up on them. Yes. That's how it works in modern football. Your Points are going to win games, teams scheme to do that. So I definitely – but, yeah, I, I definitely think this defense is primed to take a step forward. And I think – they're going to be at their healthiest in this game against Virginia Tech. So you're going to see this group at their best. One of the other things they've got to do really quickly, touching uh, on the defense before we sort of shift over and, and, and talk about the offense just really quickly here, I, they've, got to, they've got to find a way to slow down the tight end. Last year, James Mitchell, who is back, killed Carolina for 103 well, yards. They've got to be able to take that away because we saw that a couple of times. We saw it against... Uh, Notre Dame, game they lost late last season. We saw it in a game earlier in the year against the Boston College Eagles where Hunter Long hurt you. When the tight ends have success, that can put you in a shootout 
you don't want to be in that type of game here. Well, the, the way you do that is hopefully you can get to the quarterback with three and you're not having to send your linebackers and you're having to put Jeremiah Gimmel in pass, in pass coverage. If Carolina can get pressure up front with Rayva Wasik, Timon Fox, Des Evans, and those guys, then you can play coverage and it'll make it harder for those tight ends to beat you down the field. Yeah, and I, I think it's definitely possible, especially with the amount of rotation that we're going to see up front. Carolina is going to try to keep a, a fresh guys on the field as much as possible. And the defensive line has just been raved about over and over again. And this is the thing when it comes to all these things that we just talked about. I, when I hear Mac Brown talk in press conferences, I trust Mac Brown more than I used to trust some of the previous Toriel coaches because I've heard Mac Brown back in 2019 and even last year tell you right out when this team did not look good. He has not said that much this offseason, and I think he feels good about his defense. Yeah, and, I, you know, we we stressed it once we hired him. He's not he's not a BSer. He's not going to give you a whole lot of coach speak. He is going to tell you what he feels no matter the situation. Um, when Carolina beat South Carolina two years ago, did he make some inflations about this is like the happiest team in the country? Yes. But they probably were the happiest team in the country. He He's not going to lie to you because he doesn't – he worked in the media. So he, he understands that responsibility as a coach to, to communicate to the media and to us, the fans. So uh, the only time you should be worried is if Mac Brown goes to the press conference and says, hey, guys, I'm worried about my defense. Yeah, I mean, there <laughs> were times last year where he said there were units, guys, I'm worried. Yeah. He said earlier this fall there were units, guys, I'm concerned about what this unit yeah, looks it, like. If he's concerned, then you should be concerned. If he's not concerned, I'm not concerned. Right. So I, I feel like there's a lot of reason to be encouraged about the defense. And, and on the offensive side of things, there's reasons to be encouraged about this offense as well. The number one reason, look at the quarterback that you have. You've got a once-in-a-generation quarterback. And we've talked about that, the pressure to come out and help him have a special season to complete his Carolina career from, from what we understand. I mean, unless he takes a big drop in the draft rankings, it looks like this is his final year. With him leading your offense, I know that there are some new pieces that have to work that, that have to work in, and there's one piece that I think is going to be extremely crucial, which I'm going to talk about here a little more in depth in a minute. But I feel like if there's a guy that can elevate the players around him, he's done it before. I think it's Sam Howell. It, it's really – this is going to come across as like a shot at Sam, and it's not a shot at Sam. It's it's really hard to say that when you you couldn't elevate your team at Florida State a year ago. You couldn't elevate your team at Virginia a year ago. What we're going to find out more than anything, it's not more about Sam Howell. We're going to find out if Phil Longo's offense is what he said it is, which is you can plug anybody in here – and you're going to get production. You're replacing four 1,000-yard players at two wide receiver positions and two running back positions. I think Sam Howell's got all the talent in the world. I think he's got arguably the best arm in the country, um, and, and he knows how to make plays. But none of that matters if the guys around him don't step up to to what they're capable of doing. Well, look, they've got they've got to step up too. There, there's no way that you can just say, well, Sam Howell has to do everything and you guys just stand there and play the way that you've always played. No, you've got to be better than you've been before. That's what we're all here for. That's the reason you have an offseason. Um, I disagree with your point on Florida State. I think he did just about everything he could. 
Uh, it wasn't his fault that you had a drop from Bo Corrales, although that was one that could have been a pass interference or at least a holding penalty. And Javante Williams dropped one in open space as well. He led his team back into that game. Now, part of that was he put himself in that position by throwing the pick six early in yep. the game. Notre Dame, I, I, I agree with to a certain extent. I do think the offensive line, people will definitely talk about how the offensive line was showing the fact that they got worn down late in that game. But there were times in that game late on where you would like to lean on your quarterback and he would elevate the players around him. But I think you look at mainly, look at De'Ami Brown and what he was when Sam Howell came to Carolina. I don't think De'Ami Brown is the guy that he was at Carolina without Sam Howell. Most likely not. So I think that but Sam also Howell can he, elevate the players around It's him, also no the doubt. system that you were put in. The system allowed Deami Brown to make. Well, the system is still here. That you know, That's what I'm saying. So, we're about to find out what this – is this system really what – what Baylor was back in the day where you just put another guy in and they produce 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. Well, th this is the other thing. I think that a lot of people are expecting this to be Alabama or Clemson, where you're going to rotate guys in, and there's going to be no drop-off. The the, there will be no reason to be yeah, concerned. We're, we're not at that level yet. I don't know that we're at that level yet. <laughs> Do I have confidence in the group that's there, though? Yes. I, I think that there are guys that can be productive. I, me, me and you both, we have talked extensively about – Josh Downs, the guy who both of us, when we went through and talked breakout players, that was the first guy we yeah. put on our list. There was no question that he was the first guy on our list. Uh, Emory Simmons, he was a guy that's on your list. And we made a running joke that, look, it's just because you put him on the list every other year, <laughs> you got no choice. That's part of it. But, Sir, but, but, but this is also a guy that has done everything that he's needed to from what we've heard from the staff. Uh, and, again, it goes back to the staff being – very transparent with the media and the fan base about where this team is at. And then you talk about a guy in Anton Green, who's been a starter before. He just didn't have the right injury luck. He's a guy that, I, I mean, he's caught bad break after bad break on the field when it's come to injuries. Now he's back. He's in a good mind state. He feels confident in himself. And this is a guy that, you know, when we watched the spring game, we said to ourselves, all right, he's doing some good things here. We got to keep an eye on him going forward. Uh, the other key, I think, you know, outside a wide receiver, is running back. And I think again, to ask to have similar production, just like at wide receiver, is is crazy. I'm here to tell you right now, that's not going to happen. If Carolina no has chance two backs that go a thousand yards, um, buy your tickets to the college football playoff because you're not getting beat. I I would think so too, <laughs> honestly. And, um, and at that point, I mean, do you do you even have to go and visit recruits in person? <laughs> just 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 send them the stats of the last two yeah, years for your them, running back. Say, look, here's our system. Put you in the system, you're going to be great. I don't think that's going to happen. But at the same time, I think that Ty Chandler has a chance to be successful because we've heard a lot of people, not just locally. We've heard it from Tennessee people that have covered Tennessee. We've heard it from national media writers that this guy was a tremendous pickup for Carolina. He fits the system that Carolina has in place, and this gives him a chance to have a lot of success. I think in this game, he is going to be immensely important to the success of Carolina. If he can even have 
a somewhat successful night. Average five yards a carry on the ground. Maybe reach the 80 to 100-yard mark, somewhere in between there. That would be huge for Carolina. That's not – I mean, that's that's. I think that's pretty much stating the obvious. But I think you're right. If Carolina can run the football with him week one till week 12, they're going to go where they, where they want to get to. I think that's – I know that's my biggest concern is being able to replace that amount of production at the running back because it's just harder as opposed to replacing production at the wide receiver position. Um, and I'm and I mentioned it during the offseason. If this offense can average 150 yards per game in the run game, I think I think with what you got with Sam Howell at the quarterback spot and what you got at the wide receiver room, you're going to do what you need to do on offense to win the uh, to win football games. And this is a game that do I think this game is going to be a shootout? I don't I think this is going to be a, a low scoring game where you're going to need to finish drives on the ground. And and I think that's where. Is there going to be rotation at the running back spot with Caleb Hood and DJ Jones? Yes. But this will be a game that I think you will see Ty Chandler in more than any other game because he has the experience. And what you're really hoping for is that he produced a lot at Tennessee with mediocre talent and mediocre coaching. Carolina may have just got they may have just gotten me mediocre coach. I think that's being respectful to what, Tennessee. What, My God. Remember in the offseason, Matt Brown said that we are now picky enough to pick and choose what transfers we pursue. They pursued Ty Chandler once he showed interest. That shows you what they thought of him and what they can, what he can do here. And if Carolina wins on Friday, Ty Chandler will be a big reason why. I, I, I'm going to be honest. Is he not one of those guys that you get the feeling he's either going to have a big game it's or he's going to really struggle? Yep. Like I, I feel like he, he could come out, be a guy that puts up 130 yards on the ground. That may not be what he is going forward. But this feels like one of those games where – and I, I feel like I would lean the prior. I really feel like he's being a guy that's been in the SEC, that's played in these big types of games before, I feel like he's a guy that will, will say to himself, look, I can have success with this team. As you mentioned, he played in it for a team in, in the SEC that has gotten to the point now where they're considered bottom tier in the SEC. They're yeah. one of those teams that most people – look at on their schedule, and check off as a W. Now you're on a team that most people are looking at and circling because they've got some of the most talent and they want to find a way to try to upset them. You're running behind a veteran offensive line. We'll see what that offensive line does. But I think he definitely has a chance of success. That's what I'll do to kind of move over into the keys to the game. I think winning the battle up front is huge. That's yes. one of my main keys is that you've got to win the battle up front, I think, you know, defensively, it, it's it's going to be huge because that's going to allow you to, you know, try to slow down the run game that has killed you over the last couple of years. And it's going to allow you to try to drop, you know, a, a potentially mobile quarterback that could hurt you with his legs um, a, a lot easier than you did the past couple of years against mobile quarterbacks. I think the biggest thing when you talk about winning the battle up front is on the offensive side. Your offensive line in this game has got to be as good as you think it can be this year for you. This has to be one of their best games, and they've got to be able to clear space for your running backs that are inexperienced in this system. They've got some talent, but they're inexperienced in this system. You know, I don't know if this has been communicated to Stacey Searles or not. I firmly believe that 
the production of his offensive line group can result in whether he has a job or a pink slip at the end of December. And now, it starts on now, Friday. That's the first time you brought that up yeah. on the podcast. Um, if, if, if Carolina can move Virginia Tech around and put them where they want to put them and, and open up holes in the run game and give Sam, Sam Howell time to pick apart this defense, then Carolina's going to win this game and it's not going to be close. If not, if they if they cannot get the same push up front they got a year ago, and that happens what happened when they lost to Virginia Tech in Lane Stadium in 2019, this thing can go the other way because all games like this are decided up front. And so if Carolina can get that push up front on the offensive side of the ball and defensively get off blocks and get their hands on those running backs and bring them down for two, three-yard gains as opposed to letting them run right by you, Carolina's got a good chance. Yeah, be, be, be you know smart, stay in your gaps. Make the plays that you have to make. I'm not – and maybe I'm just buying into the hype too much. I'm not as concerned about the defensive line it's, winning these battles. It's really hard not to be concerned after what you've seen on film the last two years against this team. This, yeah, this I mean – This team has ran the ball at will. Right. I think that this defensive line – And it's really line, going back since Larry Fedora showed I up. think this defensive line is much more talented than it was a year ago, much deeper and – the other thing that you've got to pair with this is the fact that Virginia Tech has to replace two very productive offensive linemen, including a guy a guy that just went to town against the Tar Heel defensive line last year. Did it against a few teams, but definitely against the Tar Heels and Christian Darisaw, their left tackle. So they've got some areas where they've got to replace some guys. Carolina's bringing everybody back up front. This is going to be the healthiest that they've been. That's why I'm not as concerned as I am. I'm not overly concerned about the offensive line either because I trust the veterans there. But you also factor in, I mean, here's the thing. I say that thinking that we uh, that Brian Anderson plays in this game. If Brian Anderson doesn't play in this game, completely different story. Yep. No doubt in my mind it's a completely different story. Um, so, yeah, you look at uh, some of the other keys – I put limit mistakes on here. I think that's pretty obvious for first games. It, it's really the penalties. I think that's something that's been that, their one of the biggest issues for them in the last two meetings with this team is the penalties. I mean, you look, you know, a few years ago, uh, back in twenty nineteen, Carolina nine penalties, sixty nine yards. Virginia Tech five nice. penalties, thirty six yards. Then you go to last year's matchup. One of the big things that put Virginia Tech back in the game were the penalties from Carolina. 10 for 87, Virginia Tech just 4 for 26. So you've got to limit that, and clearly you've got to limit the turnovers. My thing with them is I think Virginia Tech is, is suspect to turnovers. They're a team that's been sloppy over the last couple of years. If they've got to throw the football. You've got Braxton Burmeister who is still trying to show that he can be a guy at quarterback. He can be one of those guys that can elevate that program at quarterback. You can force them into mistakes. Don't make mistakes yourself, primarily like you said, when it comes to penalty yardage. You've got, you've got to limit that. Yeah, um, the best teams in college football, they don't beat themselves. And Carolina in the loss at Virginia Tech two years ago and in other losses – Penalties were a big part of that, whether it was in the red zone, whether it was defensive, trying to get off the field defensively. This is – and, look, there's going to be a lot of emotion. There's going to be – and, look, these two teams, they don't like each other, so there's going to it's going to be chippy. You've got to be able to harness that energy, harness that emotion, and play with it and control because you don't need to be giving them free 15 yards 
with late hits or something like that. Um, I'm not worried about Carolina turning the ball over because you got Sam Howell throwing the football. He doesn't throw a lot of interceptions. I do think Carolina's got to force one or two, though. I think they, that's something that we you asked last week on can this defense get to over 14 and have turnovers forced. they got a good chance to, if they can make Braxton Burmeister throw the football. You've got to put this offense in passing and obvious passing situations. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I think if you can do that, and especially if your guys can get some pressure up front, you can force him into some mistakes because he's made some of those so far in his time uh, at Virginia Tech. So uh, that's going to definitely be a, a big key. And then I think the other thing is, and Mac Brown talked about this on Monday, control what you can control. You know that the environment's going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. You know that this team is going to come in motivated because, one, they are likely playing to keep their head coach in place. They've heard about Or they're you. playing to get him out of the way. Oh, well, yeah, they could do that <laughs> as well. They have heard about you and you being a top 10 team throughout the entire offseason. And the other thing, as Mac Brown put it, they frankly just don't really like you all that much. Yep. So they're going to come out motivated. Do what you need to do. Play your game. And look, if it's if it's not enough and you fall short, then it is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. But if you play the game that you know you're capable of, I'm going to be honest, I don't think you, you lose this game. Yeah, this is a very similar like in basketball when someone gets hot from three against Carolina. Virginia Tech's going to have a guy that's going to make a play or two that we're going to be going, what? And as us fans, we're going to get discouraged. But the players, they can't let, they cannot allow that to snowball if some guy goes out there, makes a one-handed grab, mosses you or whatever. Just play. Because let your talent, let the scheme take over, and don't get caught up in all the extra, in all, in, in all the extra crap. Because that extra crap can get you beat. Because yeah. Virginia Tech's going to feed off of all of that. Every little thing they can do to throw you off, they're going to try to do that. So you just got to, as you said, just play with you know play, control what you control, and you know what will happen will happen. Yeah, I mean, look, they're 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 experienced. If you don't think that they're experienced, like Mac Brown said, this roster is a lot better than people realize. You know, outside of Burmeister, you know, who we've talked a lot about, you know, you've got a, a trio in the backfield that they feel pretty confident in. Yep. Now, having that sort of nasty production from last year with Khalil Herbert is going to be tough. It's going to be very similar to us saying we that Carolina needs somebody to mask the production that Javante Williams and Michael Carter had a year ago. Mm-hmm. He had a fantastic year, so it's going to be tough. Um, but they've got experience on their offensive line, led by Brock Huffman, who pushed Carolina around last year. They've got experience at wide receiver, a couple of guys that hurt him. I talked about the tight end, James Mitchell. On the defensive side of the ball, this is going to look like a more typical defense. Remember that last year, this was a team that was ravaged by COVID. They had issues throughout the entire year, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in their secondary, but they've got veterans back, like Jermaine Waller, like Chamari Connor, like uh, Devin Hunter, who was gone from the team for a little bit, but now is back. Um, and they've got some guys that they feel pretty good about, and they've got a pretty good duo in the middle of their uh, of their defense in Dax Hollifield and uh, Alan Tisdale. Yeah. So they're they're talented guys that got something to prove. Right. This is the, this is that I feel like a lot of people feel like this team 
especially defensively for Virginia Tech, is going to look a lot like what Carolina saw last year. And that's just not the case. If so, there will be a lot of unemployed coaches at the end of September. Right. So there is a lot. I mean, there's talent on this roster. But here's the thing. You feel like with what Mac Brown has built, you feel confident in the talent that Carolina has matching up against them. You just need to do the things that you know you're capable of doing and it should allow you to get the job done. Let's move on to our official predictions here. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll kick it off here. I think Carolina wins the game. I, like I said, I think it's a close battle, but it comes down to which quarterback I think can step up and make plays late in the game. The last time that Sam Howell had to step up and make plays late in the game, he did. Unfortunately, his team around him wasn't able to step up and make those plays in Lane Stadium. I think it happens this time. This is not going to be a pretty game. This is a game that if you think Carolina is going to come out and look like a college football playoff contender in, I think it might be wrong. I want to be proven wrong on that as well. I hope Carolina comes out and looks fantastic. So do I. But I think that this is going to be one of those ugly games in week one and like Mac Brown talked about so much over these past couple of weeks, mainly talking to your guy, Art Chansky, when he asked about these games. Most of these games are, these openers are lost. They are not won. So Carolina, I think they do enough to come out with a victory and not lose this game. Yeah, I'm with you. I think this game's going to be pretty ugly. Um, I think it's going to be some high-quality football played because these are two teams with a lot of talent. And there is good coaching on both sidelines. But if if the game is sloppier than what Carolina's going to look like in October or November, I think that leans to Virginia Tech. Um, we did our official record predictions last year. I picked Virginia Tech to win last, the game. Last, last week. Last uh, week. Yeah, wasn't last, that long ago. Yeah, wasn't last week to, 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 beat, to beat Carolina. And it's really more about all the other stuff that goes into it. I think the environment, as I mentioned, you, I, in my opinion, I think you're finding a 10-point underdog or a 10-point – a deficit right there. I think that environment's good enough to carry Virginia Tech for a team that's – this is going to be one or two things. Either going to have a Virginia Tech team that looks desperate and is playing for their coach, or they've already quit on their coach and Carolina steamrolls and this game's over at halftime. I think that's the flip side. I think if, I think if Carolina wins, I think this game's a blowout because um, uh, I, I think the talent, I think the motivation will take over and they will be able to impose their will and blow up Virginia Tech. If they lose like I think they're going to, it'll be a lot like when Carolina lost to South Carolina and Charlotte a few years ago where it's just Carolina made a few mistakes, didn't finish drives, what have you. And in a lot of ways, a loss here, while it could derail their chances at the college football playoff, it could springboard them chance, their, their ability to get back to the ACC title game like the 2015 team did when they lost to South Carolina. Um, so I got Virginia Tech winning 24-17. I, I'm going to go uh, 24-20 Carolina. I, I think uh, we're, we're probably right around in that same range. Yep. Uh, game 6 o'clock uh, on Friday, ESPN. It'll be uh, Jason Benetti, uh, Andre Ware, and I forget. Oh, Paul Calcaterra will be on the sideline. Uh, of course, over on the radio side of things, uh, you got Jones Angel, a uh, guy who's been on the podcast a couple of times, really great guy. He's going to be up there. Uh, I believe Brian Simmons should probably be with him this year. 
Um, but I'm not sure. Could be Lee Pace again this year uh, as well. But if if not, Lee will definitely be with him on the field. Yep. Uh, you know, as, as the sideline reporter. So uh, make sure you guys check that out over on the Tar Heel Sports Network. Uh, check your local listings for where the Tar Heel Sports Network is at in your area. So that wraps it up for the look at the Tar Heels season opening game against Virginia Tech. Let's move on to uh, the closing notes. And uh, as I said, look at the guys uh, in the NFL. Uh, preseason week number, what is it, three, I guess, because technically they don't count the Hall of Fame game as a week. Uh, wrapped up over the weekend. Uh, then you had until Tuesday to make your decisions on uh, roster cuts to get your roster down to 53 men. Uh, a lot of Tar Heels on rosters here in the preseason. So I'll run through, tell you some of the guys. Uh, players that made the roster, I'll just list the guys off here really quickly. Uh, Giovanni Bernard made the Tampa Bay Buccaneers roster. Deami Brown on Washington football team's roster. Uh, you got Michael Carter with the Jets. Eric Ebron with the Steelers. Charlie Heck with the Texans, which, by the way, he is now battling, and most people believe he will win the starting right tackle job out there in Houston. Unfortunately for Charlie, probably not going to have much success this year as an entire team. No. But uh, that's good news for him, and we hope he has the best of success down there. Cole Holcomb looks like he's still going to be a starter with the Washington football team. Mac Hollins with the Dolphins ends up making that roster. James Hurst, no problem with the Saints. Robert Quinn will be a part of the Bears again this year. Uh, you've got Andre Smith uh, making the roster for the Bills. That one was a little bit of a surprise. He was one of those guys that I think was on the bubble coming into the preseason. Had a great preseason, primarily uh, the... First game of their preseason where he led the team in tackles with 10. Looked really, really good. So he makes that roster up there. MJ Stewart holds on to a roster spot there with the Browns. Some people were wondering about him, but he ends up making that roster. Chad Surratt with the Vikings. Again, he may see some playing time because that Vikings defense yeah. is not going to be good. Uh, Mitch Trubisky, he'll be the backup to Josh Allen with the Bills. And then uh, Javante Williams, no issue, as we expected. He's going to be competing with Melvin Gordon for reps with the Denver Broncos. Players that were cut, uh, run, run through some of the guys. Of course, some of the ones that were cut earlier in camp, William Sweet, uh, R.J. Prince, Bug Howard, Austin Prohl was cut. Uh, Anthony Ratliff-Williams, he actually was picked up uh, at one point during the preseason by uh, the Seattle Seahawks. He, unfortunately, as you would expect by with a guy that was added in the middle of preseason, did not end up making that roster. Uh, Aaron Crawford, guy that w worked hard, was hearing some good things about him uh, up there in Baltimore. Unfortunately, due to an injury, he was waived. Uh, I don't I don't think he was signed to their practice squad, uh, but he's a guy that I think could be picked up once again when he is healthy. Uh, Jake Bargus waived, but looks like he's headed for the practice squad. They did release the official practice squads earlier today, but I didn't have a chance to look through those. Uh, but it looks like he's probably going to land there for the Vikings. Antonio Williams was a guy that people said in Buffalo was really close to making their roster, but unfortunately fell short. I think he, as well, was waived, will be on their practice squad, and he's a guy that a lot of people think next year will probably make that roster when they have to make the decision between either Devin Singletary or Zach Moss as to who to keep going forward. And then you get to some of the surprise guys. Uh, one that caught me off guard for sure was Miles Dorn. He was listed as the backup to... 
Anthony Harris, that's the other safety there. I was trying to think who is opposite of Harrison Smith. Was listed as his backup in the preseason. From all indications and from watching some of those games, uh, he looked pretty good. He looked about as good as anybody that was out there for that Vikings defense that stunk booty, going to be honest with you. They were not good. They were not. Um, but he was cut. He was one of the final cuts. I actually posted the list yesterday uh, of the guys with their statuses. I had him as on the roster because to that point, they had not announced that he did not make the roster. They were late on announcing some of their releases. Somehow he did not make that roster. I think that's an absolute shame. Uh, the other guys that caught us off guard, I think a little more understandable. Daz Newsome didn't make the Bears roster. Uh, for them, doesn't make a whole lot of sense for a six-round pick. You spent a, a draft pick on him, and he doesn't make the roster. Part of that, though, because he was injured, but he's a guy that looks like he's headed for their practice squad. That'll be interesting to see how they kind of handle him there. Shocking that the Bears haven't really handled a Carolina player on their roster all that well. Uh, and then Jason Strobridge, just a year after being a fifth-round pick, if I'm right. Am I uh, remember? I or is he so. fourth? What? Fourth or fifth. Fourth or fifth, one of the two. He ends up getting cut uh, with the Dolphins, and I'm not sure that he made their practice squad either. Uh, so that one uh, definitely caught me off guard a little bit. A couple other guys that uh, are on still with teams but will not be playing this year due to injuries. Jalen Dalton, Torres Triceps, he's out on the IR for the Saints, and Ryan Switzer on the IR uh, for the Browns, looking like they may potentially be giving him another chance again next year to try to make that roster. His injury at the time still undisclosed. So that's your look at the guys in the NFL, the guys that have already been through uh, the game against Virginia Tech. And we're going to have you ready for the guys that are getting ready to go through this game against Virginia Tech over on the Heel Tough blog website. We got the preview that's going to go up. I'm going to be grinding on that uh, tonight. Don't know if I'm going to get it up tonight or if I'll uh, put it up tomorrow, but either way, you guys are going to have definitely 24 hours at least to uh, get you know a feel for that game, go a little more in depth. We're going to do them just like we did them last year. We'll have your team breakdown. We'll have your team stats that you can look at, which again, take them with a grain of salt because they are last year's stats. Rosters have changed, uh, but you know, still interesting to look at. We'll have of course, your keys to the game, your injury report, and they won't be this time your projected starting lives. They will be the official ones that were released by the two teams. Uh, but going forward, they will be projected depending on how uh, you know some position battles work out and everything like that. So all that will be back for you in terms of the preview there. Uh, and then we'll have you covered afterwards when it comes to the recap, trench report, stock report, all that stuff. Uh, we are going to be ready to go on Friday night. Uh, there is a ton of excitement around this game, and we'll have you covered either way, uh, whether the Tar Heels win, or whether the Tar Heels fall. Uh, we'll have you covered uh, from that night. I will be getting that recap up later that night, and uh, you guys will have all the information that you need and our, our takeaways uh, from one of Carolina's biggest openers uh, in a while with all the hype that is around this Tar Heel team. We'll also do it on the podcast side of things. We will only do the recap. We will not have a trench and stock report version of <laughs> the podcast. We have to sleep sometimes, believe it or not. But uh, we'll have that for you guys. That'll be uh, sometime early next week. And look, we're still going to do two podcasts. It's going to be a recap and then a preview. So uh, all that stuff, uh, we'll have that ready to go for you guys. And then uh, 
yeah, uh, some other stuff on the website that we'll have for you guys. We'll still be covering recruiting for you guys uh, throughout uh, all of you know throughout the season. There are still some guys that Carolina is pursuing hot and heavy in the 2022 cycle. There are some guys in the 23 cycle that Carolina is off to a really good start with. Carolina will no doubt be hosting a lot of these guys throughout the season, so we'll have all that information for you guys on there. Still going to do try to do some of the scouting reports. But it's, there just isn't as much time as there's been in the past. So that's one of those things where it'll probably be a little bit more sparingly uh, than it was the last few years for you guys. But we'll have all that stuff for you uh, over there. And then, of course, also basketball coverage. We're still covering everything that's going on with Carolina basketball. They are officially a month. They're closing in on a month away from the start of practice, believe it or not, for the Tar Heel basketball team when we get our first look at Hubert Davis' squad. So Josh will have you covered with all that stuff. Of course, uh, when it comes to whatever they're going to call late night this year, whatever that's going to be, they are apparently working on some things with that. He'll have you covered with all of that stuff leading up to uh, one of the uh, more exciting but nervous Carolina basketball seasons in a while with Hubert Davis taking over as the head coach uh, so uh you know make sure that you guys are keeping an eye on the website for all that stuff uh podcast side of things of course you guys are watching it live right here we'll put up the audio edition of the podcast as well for you guys to listen to uh, and then uh we will also uh you know be uh you know doing um you know some some stuff uh, over, you know, Facebook page, we'll have some other posts that we'll be putting up and everything like that. That's the best place to follow all of the stuff is on that Facebook page. Uh, you got the articles, you got those video podcasts, and you got those audio podcasts, as well as anything else that we post on there. You can check it out uh, on Facebook. Just search at Heel Tough Blog and make sure you like and follow the page. And finally, uh, over on Twitter, check us out on Twitter at Heel Tough Blog. For the official account, at HTB Anthony. For my personal account, at HTB Josh. For his personal account, also get some live play-by-play coverage of the New York Mets as they try to <laughs> work through whatever the hell is going on with them this week or today, whatever. It's, I mean, it's literally at this point as the Mets turn. It's a, sports, it's a soap opera. You got sports, TV show reviews. He'll occasionally tell you about his love life. Yeah, I mean, you just Lack you thereof. want you want. All of it. You want the the great sports tweets. You want the in-depth Carolina coverage. And you want the depressing stuff that's just going to bring you down sometimes. We all, I mean, it, it, it's just, it's the wonder of following him. Zach Hubbard, our recruiting analyst, a, a, a little more coy on social media. Uh, you can follow him at HackZubber, too. Uh, over on Twitter. Uh, so that wraps up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank everybody that tuned in to watch live. Really do appreciate that. We are going to be doing uh, the... I'm forgetting which ones we decided. I said we were going to do the recaps of games, right? I don't remember. Well, I don't remember. We're going to figure it out when we get off air. Uh, again, don't you miss this part, the on-air production segment here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. You don't get in with many other ones. But uh, one of the two will be live for sure, if not both of them. We'll tell you about more of that uh, on the Facebook page as we go forward. But uh, thank you to everybody that tuned in. Uh, thank you for everybody that uh, will listen or that will watch this later on. Uh, and and uh, thank you. we want to thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, go Colts.